Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to get through this thing called life. Electric word, life, it means forever, and that's a mighty long time. But I'm here to tell you, there's something else. The afterworld. A world of never-ending happiness. You can always see the sun. Day or night. So when you call up that shrink in Beverly Hills, you know the one. Dr. Everything will be alright. Welcome back to New Persuasive Words. I'm Scott Jones. And I'm Bill Bohr. And that was Prince, another great, great, great star that we lost in 2016. Yeah. In so many ways, 2016 hasn't been an awful year. Um, you know, 1916 wasn't very good either. Uh, that was in the middle of um, World War One. Oh, was that Verdun? In uh, 1916, or the Somme, I, I can't remember, but um, millions of people died. Uh, 1816 wasn't so hot either. That was the year that uh, that uh, there was no summer. That was there was an abnormal uh, weather conditions, and it was like crops failed, um, things like that. So it might just be 16s are bad. My friend Sarah Cowden killed George Michael. That's my theory. <laughs> she wrote this post like for Mockingbird a couple weeks ago. Like uh, this, twenty sixteen is not the worst year ever. That and I called her today. I said, "You killed George Michael and Carrie Fisher." Until you repent of that post, there's still days left in twenty sixteen. More celeb, more here, celebrity, beloved celebrities could die. So get on and repent. <laughs> yeah, the uh, uh, I think the, the cocaine and drug use of the 80s and 90s is coming back to um, to destroy lives. It's unfortunate. Very unfortunate. It is. At least we've still got Paul McCartney for now. <laughs> Dude, Dana Carvey does these micro impressions now. He's like, he, he's like, basically, he'll just do a really brief impression. So he'll be like, all right, here's like my Paul McCartney landing on Mars. We didn't know it was so red. <laughs> or he'll do like Michael Caine as a baby. Oh, I'm Michael Caine. I go goo goo and ga ga because it's all I can do because I'm a baby. <laughs> just do all this. It's great. It's I just great. I just realized for uh, if uh, you know some some parents trying to tell their child um, you know this is what happens if you do drugs, and then they'll bring the the parents. Rolling Stone album, and they'll show them Keith Richards. Oh, absolutely! And, yeah. that, and so there we go. That uh, an argument against. He him. said on Saturday Night Live one time that Keith Richards was like there was a horse on stage for something for one of the sketches in the rehearsal. He just went up to the horse and was like held its head in his hands, like you're a horse. <laughs> <laughs> oh my but goodness! Like, yeah, so he's like that was my Keith Richards impression. I just like. You're an orange. <laughs> You're a pencil. <laughs> oh my goodness! Yeah, Keith Richards still alive and kicking. Still alive. The, the uh, rock musician was who was voted most likely not to l survive the seventies. Uh, they're still making music. People survive and thrive. Yeah, it is. Uh, a lot has to do with your genetic makeup. Absolutely. Yeah. Yep. If you and with makeup artists. 
and makeup all artist. But uh, I was I, telling you the other day, I love the week of cable news, like the week between Christmas and New Year's, because like a lot of the principals take off, and not only they take off, but their best makeup people take off. Because like it's not only like the B team, it's the B makeup team. Some of these people look <laughs> terrible. They like, get hosts and guests, just terrible, yeah, yeah. ghastly. Yeah, I, I remember when uh, HD. Everybody was first getting HD, and there was a little bit of a lag for them to get used to that in terms of makeup artistry because you can oh, see yeah. you so can see much everything. more than, yeah, yeah. Uh, speaking of totally random things, uh, you know, it is interesting how some people survive and some people don't, you know, in terms of, and I do, uh, I have, that's because I had lunch with a pen researcher, so I'm thinking about poly, you know, polygenetic things and that how the unique chemistry of each person can, um, can really, uh, some people can dodge a bullet and I know people who, you know, don't do much abusive things and it's totally changed their brain chemistry forever. So it's a dangerous thing. Yeah, it is a dangerous thing. It's just that way with dentistry too. Some people like can floss and do everything and they just right. have teeth that are predisposed to get cavities. Some people like just have perfect teeth that don't retain the saliva in the wrong places and these sorts of things. I'm so into dentistry. I have my buddy is a dentist. He did a root canal for me and I learned more about reading film and these sorts of things. So I like, yeah. I'm well, did you did you see then? If you're so into dentistry, did you see that um, there are rugby players? I don't know if they're English or Australian. Somehow it feels Australia, but I don't remember where. You know, you lose teeth, and so they've had a, a bottle cap opener put in and planted in their in their mouth. So now where the tooth used to be, they have a bottle cap opener, so they can literally put a beer bottle in their mouth. And, I'm so for that. Yeah, no. I'm I mean, completely behind that, 110%. Yeah, yeah. No, I think it probably, it'll save, you know, dentistry bills for many of a frat boy in the future. There you go. Well, we've, we've said it all. We have said it in all. In six minutes. Yeah. <laughs> and we've said a lot. Yeah. See, I, this is my way of avoiding talking about Netanyahu, because I, I think, uh, I, just was, I just heard him on the radio. Friends. Don't take friends to the Security Council. <laughs> you know what? Uh, it, it, you know, I think we actually may have gotten a president that lies to us as much as Netanyahu lies to his own people. Of course, they know he's lying when he's lying there. We don't, we don't know it, and most Americans don't. I, I think we're starting to know it a little bit. I think most Americans don't realize that Netanyahu has a ruling coalition that includes the settler parties. And uh, so the fact is that uh, he did lie. America did not do anything new. Uh, matter of fact, America was being consistent with its policies. The Obama administration uh, probably has prevented more negative resolutions against Israel than any other administration and also signed the biggest military aid bill to uh, it's interesting. We didn't Israel. Even, we didn't even – we just like – we didn't like – we just abstained. Like, we just uh, let it right. go through. No, we no, didn't, we didn't no. sign on to it. No, I mean, the fact is, Netanyahu's government is lying when it says they're still supporting peace because they're not. He does not no longer support the two-state solution. He's actively allowing the West Bank to be built up in the settlements. And uh, it's very complicated. It's a dangerous neighborhood. And I don't know how you, I don't know how you constructively work for peace right now, but I know how you continue to work for peace. Uh, an occupation and a continued, um, uh, you know, I think the, I, uh, the problem right now is that um, the Arab street um, is preoccupied with so many different things, but the Palestinian issue 
always carries an awful lot of animus and a lot of energy. And it could turn very badly for Israel if the Saudis have to placate uh, or, the, you know, the placate the uh, Arab street or the Turks decide as they're trying to, you know, jockey for, you know, hegemony in the region. I mean, you've got now, you've got Saudi Arabia, Turkey, and Iran are all jockeying to be the dominant power there. And the one thing that all three uh, can certainly benefit from is, uh, uh, you know, being the one who's the greatest champion against um, against Israel. So, you know, currently, because, you know, the friend, you know, the, the enemy, or what is it, my enemy's enemy is my friend? Well, that's why the Saudis and, and the Turks and Israel are getting along a little better right now. But um, because they all are, you know, Iran is a threat to all of them. But I, I don't think this kind of, I mean, the, the guy Trump has said he wants to send as an envoy, envoy to Israel. Um, in the name of being Israel's friend, we may actually put them in more jeopardy. I, I, uh, I think it's a very uh, tenuous thing. I still say you can be pro-state of Israel, pro-peace, pro-justice, and pro some sort of, uh, you know, justify just just resolution for the Palestinians, but uh, we're getting further and further away from that. Uh, uh, Netanyahu is not a friend to that solution, and um, Trump talking about things he absolutely does nothing about doesn't help either. What if Trump, in some strange turn events keeps us safer because people like Kim Jong-un are like, this guy's really crazy. Like, <laughs> I thought I was crazy. This guy's really crazy. Like, uh, you mean maybe, the, whole, the, the Nixon, the Nixon strategy? Yeah. I mean, yeah. maybe like there's the sense in which we'll like, we'll, uh, yeah. Maybe that How did that Nixon thing work out? Well, he gave us the EPA, <laughs> affirmative action, Spiro Ag tried Spiro to end, Spiro Agnew. Try to end uh, local school board funding. Try to like make it more equitable. Like get rid of local funding tied to real estate. I think some of the guy I remember some show on NPR where this guy was years ago saying, "Well, actually, if you look at it historically, Nixon was our last great liberal president <laughs> by today's standards. <laughs> by today's standards, by today's standards, some of the stuff he supported and did, like I don't know. I mean, I'm I'm not saying you know like Donald Trump uh, is re is really proud of the fact that Nixon." Uh, like basically Pat Nixon saw him on like a daytime TV, like a talk show, like Oprah said, I'm so impressed if he runs for office, he'll win. And so I think he's putting up a picture of Nixon. It was probably the Merv Griffin show. Yeah, well, I think it was Merv Griffin. <laughs> Do you remember that Seinfeld where, where Kramer oh, got my the Merv favorite. I love that episode. That's, so That's great. a great episode. Well, it's, it's, we're trying a young, edgier format. <laughs> Actually, I think we should do that here sometime. Oh, I would love that. Yeah, where we where people, where were just inviting people over and we set up as a talk show. We Merv Griffin. Jerry Seinfeld used to do Merv Griffin. He said he was great. He like just a nice guy. Johnny Carson on the other hand, Dana Carvey said... He said, like, basically, John, Jay Leno told him that when Johnny, at the end of uh, his, at the end of his career, he was walking around because they were doing, you know, impressions. Like, oh, they're making fun of me. Guess it's time to go. <laughs> <laughs> they're making fun of me now. <laughs> All right. Well, what were we going to talk about today? We're going to talk about uh, what we, we're going to talk about Ross Dothit's article in the uh, New York Times. All the news that's fit to print. Part of the Liberal media establishment. <laughs> the failed New York Times. Yeah. Uh, hey, you know, the one, that is one upshot. Uh, what is it? The day after Trump got elected, their subscription, they had the largest increase in subscriptions that they've ever had. Something like that. Yeah. Yeah. All the news is fit to print, man. Okay. So he wrote this 
op-ed kind of. Hey, he's good. I like Ross. Yeah, I, I, I actually, you know what? I have to. I I find all all of their editorial folks pretty pretty interesting. I don't agree with everything, but they yeah, they're all good writers. They're good writers are interesting. Yeah, yeah they, they're not. Yeah, I, I I don't know. It's sort of like banal or it's it's good. It's good stuff. So he wrote a book called, or he wrote an essay called, rather, or an op-ed piece called Varieties of Religious Experience, I guess playing off the William James title of the same name, which is also interesting work to talk about sometime, not maybe on this podcast, but that would be a good thing. To talk that would about be, yeah, review that, absolutely. Yeah. So it's basically, he says, you know, it's Christmas, indulge me, and one of the things he collects his non-conversion stories. <laughs> stories about <laughs> secular minds who have supernatural seeming experiences without being propelled into any specific religious faith. And he thinks these are more intriguing than mystical experiences that confirm or inspire strong religious belief because they come to us unmediated by any theological apparatus. Now, one could argue, is any experience unmediated through, you know? Right. Yeah. You know, is yeah. that possible? Yeah. But I, I get what you're saying. Let's just let's go with his premise. Yes. They're more like raw material, raw raw data, raw material. The stuff that shows us spiritual experiences would con- continue if every institutional faith disappeared tomorrow. So yeah, and he goes on to list some of these specific cases, and he said it's one of the interesting one. William Friedkin, the director of The Exorcist, had never seen an exorcism when he made his famous film. He was an agnostic. He decided recently to complete the circle and spend some time shadowing. The Vatican exorcist Gabriel Amorth, just before Morse passing at J91, and Friedkin recounted his experience in Vanity Fair this fall. It did make him a Catholic believer, but it did seem to scare the Hades out of him. <laughs> yeah, you know, I actually recently got an email asking me of um, the feeling that they were haunted by a demon. Yeah, we have a friend, uh, who, yeah. a, a guy who's a pastor who yeah. regularly, but this uh, one makes the rounds with a lot of right. pastors no, that, in this I area. Think that's it. No, but this person, this, yeah, this person uh, kept having uh, um, an erotic dream about a, a former uh, relationship he was in, and he was sure that was a demon. I go, no, I'm, I'm pretty sure. He, uh, well, I, I'm pretty sure that's some unresolved stuff. But if you want me to talk to you, I'll help you. By the way, if you get visited by a ghost of a spirit from the past and you're greedy, you're the bad guy. Bill, <laughs> 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 somebody put this, this thing that Bill Maher did last Christmas. He's like, somebody needs to remind our Republican friends that Scrooge is the bad guy. That's <laughs> <laughs> very funny. No, I mean, but, it, you know, I do, it's an interesting thing because um, what, you know, there are things that maybe it's a way of things saying things transcend are our labels, you know. Uh, for instance, a lot of Christians maintain belief without any kind of major supernatural or what they would call supernatural or any kind of major experience. Uh, and it, that's an interesting, and he's, you know, this, the editorial he wrote, or the op-ed, talked about people who had these kind of transcendent experiences, but it didn't quite change their belief system, but it, it sounds like everybody walked away a little more open. Um, like Sam Harris, for instance, uh, you know, famous guy who wrote, um, a famous atheist who wrote a number of books. Um, he, I can't remember the name of the book, but he tried, he came, it was, maybe it was an essay. I don't remember. It's been a number of years ago. But after going through this whole thing of um, kind of critically engaging religious America, and I thought a lot of what he did was kind of, was thoughtful. Uh, 
had a, when he was in Israel, he was in, speaking of Israel, he was on the Sea of Galilee and had this experience. And he didn't know what to do with it. So it's another one of these people that wants to try to create, you know, we want to have a, uh, a belief in transcendence, or I don't even know what you would call it, uh, something in the Nubius or whatever, something kind of a, a language for things they can't explain. And uh, it just strikes me that even when your whole philosophical and maybe your whole uh, vocation is to disagree with you know, theism or organized Christianity, when you bump into an experience, you, you have to do something with it that you don't have anywhere to put it. I, I find that fascinating. Yeah. I mean, in Joseph Fitzwords, this comment, he says that the, the implause, he says, you know, he thinks that it, from his perspective, a sort of rigid materialism doesn't make sense intellectually. But he says, you know, the implausibility of hard materialism doesn't mean the cosmos obviously confirms a Judeo-Christian paradigm. And the supernatural experiences of the irreligious, cosmic beatitude, ghostly enigmas, unclassifi unclassifiable encounters, and straight-up demons don't po point toward any single theology or world picture. <laughs> well, that's interesting. I mean, the fact is that... Uh, and basically, he's 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 arguing that um, secular materialism is not a is not a satisfactory worldview. Yeah, I, you know, I think like at least in this country, right, the rise of the nuns has not given way to a massive increase in atheism or anything. Like most people still say they believe in God. Most of them still pray in some way. Yeah. Right? yeah. And, and just and describe like, you know, although yeah. most people say it's like most people say they floss more than they do. So probably, you know, there's, <laughs> although I floss every day. Just want you to know, my dentist, he listens to our podcast. But how often do you pray? I try to pray daily. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I, I, I'm more consistent in flossing than prayer. Uh, which is because uh, my dentist stays, I'm very, uh, I, I find it very rewarding to get a good report at the dentist. So the best combination for you would be confessor slash dentist. dentist you, you need absolutely. A, if any of you know a Jesuit dentist, dentist out Jesuit there, dentist, they're probably is. I'm, sure I'm sure I mean, there. I'm sure there are. Who, who does? Well, I'm places. sure they're missionary dentists. I, yeah. I've been actually on mission trips with dentists. So I love dentistry. I should have been <laughs> a dentist. <laughs> I, you know, I I don't know how many people I've ever met who actually say. I love dentistry. I love it. I love it. It's so cool. It's so cool. I learned how to read x-rays the other day. Very good. Yeah. But getting back to religious experience. <laughs> <laughs> I have not had those in the dental chair. Although, you know, my guy, it's very interesting. I had a root canal. No pain at all uh, from it. And mm -hmm. he is, you know, what's interesting is he's excellent with Novocaine. I mean, he's just excellent with the anesthetic. And really, like that, he, it surprises me that, like not all dentists start like what that's the thing I think if you just get that down, the rest is like, you know, people's yeah. discomfort. You get a lot of good Yelp reviews if you're good with the Novocaine. Oh, very good. Yeah. Actually the first time my mom ever heard me curse was in a dentist chair. Why she was in there, I still don't I don't remember. But uh yeah, so I had a religious experience in a oh, yeah. dentist chair as well. Well, so that we do in the live in this time where um institutional Religious faith. Let's, let's just talk about Christianity. 
uh, in this country is is losing ground, and all you know, conservatives, liberals, everybody's losing yeah, ground. Now. Yeah, you know, and the, the, this guy, who's the guy, uh, Tom Rainer, who he's a Southern Baptist guy, writes a very interesting church growth. I read the book Simple Church. It's very good, like nuts and bolts analysis of religious trends and stuff. He says, you know, the biggest attendance factor is a couple of years ago. He wrote this on a blog was that that pastors are missing is the attendance habits of the faithful. It's like even the most faithful oftentimes are only coming twice a month. So like, so that, you know, people that would not in any way think that their commitment, like, whereas maybe 20 years ago, 30 years ago, the the most faithful were there every Sunday. Maybe they miss a Sunday now again. Now it's considered pretty normal to not go, to not go to worship every week and yet not in any way feel like you're less a part of the team. Right. And there's no, if you, if you're non-sacramental, um, other than Christian community, there's nothing that you actually need there. You just listen to religious podcasts. Yeah, very good. We just gave you a dispensation. Exactly. By the way, 15, hey, give us money if you're doing that. But tied to us. By the way, fifteen sixteen. That was that was a, well. It was a good year for Martin Luther because things were starting to come together privately for him in fifteen sixteen. I think that's what he had. Is he was lecturing the Bible, lecturing on Paul. I think that could have been one of the years. He fifteen 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 sixteen. He had that. Aha moment. Was and it in the woods, right? The no, it was actually in the in the in the privy. Yeah. <laughs> well, well, maybe you know. I think Saint Norbertus had there was there maybe, were, but no, no, yeah. I would never be a Norbertine. You know why? Well, first off, I'm married, but second of all, they wear white. It's not slimming. Like they're, ha- they're like they're wearing. You would, like, rather, you would rather be a black friar. Yeah, exactly. Because yeah, it's yeah. slimming. Yeah, yeah. The order of Johnny Cash. That would be exactly. So I. Uh, <laughs> Getting back, <laughs> getting back to Rasta. <laughs> well, no, I, I first of all, I think there's a you know I, I'm actually really interested. I've always been interested. I was a psychology under, psychology history undergraduate major, so I've always been interested in phenomena. And and the fact is that that's so funny. I always interested phenomena. <laughs> I have been. <laughs> like, like, I am such a big word phenomena. I know because well, that, that's what happens when phenomena. you're. Well, that's, so that's like well, that's the same as saying oh, you're a liberal arts guy. Yeah, <laughs> so you can't nail anything down, but. These kind of religious phenomena or experiential phenomena that transcend boundaries of creed, uh, and again, you you can you can you, know, you can have all kinds. You can have evolutionary ex- uh, explanations for it. You can have neurological discussions about it. But it also may point that uh, one other options is there's something out there beyond our uh, material world that's trying to to, to reach us. Yeah, I, I th- absolutely. Yeah, in the I, Matrix, if you see like a <laughs> vampire story or whatever, or a ghost, it's like it's a program that's kind of gone rogue. <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness! No, yeah, I mean, I think that you know, there's more in the in the world than this contained in your philosophy, Horatio, right? Or this line in Ham- uh, from Hamlet, right? Uh, yeah, I mean, I think that that the, yeah, that there are I, well, everybody like I think. You know, I, like I think any kind of worldview, any kind of religious tradition, any kind of intellectual system, right? It's like you know when you learn in in school, like long division, then they tell you the remainders, like because like sometimes that the right. problems don't work perfectly, and then you're always like, should this just have a remainder or not? <laughs> but I think that like every system makes some sense if the, anybody believes it, right? Like, right. And every system also has a remainder like there are things it can't make sense of right. or things that it and that that's whether you're talking about 
Christianity or Islam or atheism or any kind any kind of intellectual spiritual you know self involving commitment is going to have remainders that well the, up. the Bible is full of remainders exactly yeah things that people just ignore like uh, and reminders reminders every yeah like for instance the baptism of the dead in First Corinthians I've read so much about that. let the dead people walking around in Matthew's gospel Elijah as a ghost. Uh, you know, the giants, the watchers, you know, there's all kinds of stories and little, you know, and it's interesting. Elijah as a ghost is a fascinating one because yeah, no, yeah. it's a time when there's not a widespread belief among Israelites in the afterlife. Yeah. And you get this thing. That's an interesting one. Baptism of the dead's great. I love that. Yeah. Thing. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, I think. The Mormons baptized. Get oh, no. Yeah. That's, that, boy, they, they got a, that's one verse they, they try. They, that's one verse Do they translate correctly. you think when you correctly. die, someone's, some Mormon's going to get baptized for you? Probably not. I don't have any close Mormon friends. I'm going to tell them. I'm going to go to that temple and say, Bill Boar's gone. <laughs> he can't stop you. Go do it. <laughs> and what if you go into Mormon heaven because of that and there's no booze and no caffeine and everything? And you're like, God, why am I in Mormon heaven now? I'll be like, Bill, I got you. Yeah, or I might—I would probably have a very—I wouldn't get a plan, and I'd probably get a comment. Being if you get baptized, if you're not a Mormon, you get baptized. You probably don't get a plan in their in their salvation system. I remember it was so red. <laughs> I remember somebody being so upset that uh, they had distant cousins that were Mormons, and their saint and grandmother died, and they they were have they were baptized her uh, posthumously as a Mormon, and they were all upset about this. And I go, you know. I, I don't think it's going to hurt one way or the other. Yeah, well, you'll find out. Yeah, we'll find <laughs> Someday. out. Someday. I'm, I'm giving them your name. <laughs> Pictures. Let's have them send them some of these podcasts. Uh, I, probably what that heaven is you're on a comet listening to the Osmond brother. Grace why hits. can't you just get baptized for someone living? Like, why can't they just put, like, vicariously? Uh, because, they, because they still have the option to make their own choice. Well, that seems silly to me, but right. Well, anyway, that's but well, that just supports that there are remainders that uh, good biblical, orthodox, neo Anabaptist, uh, uh, paleo reformed people ignore. So it's because it is exactly right. It does not everything fits in the box. Yeah, and I think that we're you know like we're the way we believe and why I believe is is very. Complex. Tim Keller a couple of years ago was invited to speak at Google because you know employees right, are allowed yes. to invite their favorite authors, and he gave a talk on his book, The Reason for God. And he said, you know, anytime we believe something, we believe it for three reasons. One is intellectual. Like, can can this like fit with what I think is sure. true about reality? Mm -hmm. There's an existential thing that's relational, emotional. He said that's why people think the problem of evil is the death blow to Christianity and religion. He said, no, but I know. I know just as many people have found faith right. because of evil, sorry, as have yeah. lost it. And so the third thing is like what, you know, now there's a field called like sociology of knowledge where you become like and believe like the people you like and value. So, he, you know, so it, it, community becomes important because you'll, you're more likely to adhere to beliefs that you find people that you connect with and admire and believe. And so Keller said, you know, when people say to him, well, if you were born in Tibet, you probably wouldn't be a you wouldn't be a Christian. He said, "Yeah, I say if you were born in Madagascar, you wouldn't be an atheist." Right. <laughs> so, I mean, yeah, that's... no, no, absolutely, no, and, and, yeah, and I also I think to me uh, we we talk about this often, but um, 
I think, unfortunately, in, in most of Protestant Christianity, uh, we've lost we've lost the language of the mysteries. You know, the idea that you know there's a sense where uh, early Christianity and and, and and to this day, uh, devout Catholicism and, and the Orthodox Church and and some high Anglicans and others Lutherans, um, there is a sense of every week there's this participation in the mysteries. Okay. And this idea that even in the language is a reminder that we don't that we don't we don't know. I mean, we, we don't have we don't contain everything. I mean, it's it's interesting we're talking about this because over the last uh, week, um, I've had two people, uh, you know, talk to me about visionary stuff that they have. Okay, and um, and it doesn't matter the details of it, but it was both of them. It gave them comfort. Um, both of them felt, in some ways, a visitation of some sorts from from a loved one that had passed. Now, these are not people; these are both devout Christians. And um, it, it's funny they, they asked me. Well, they told me about the, they told me about the, the vision or whatever it was, and it was a very it's a shadowy vision, and it was one of those things where they both wondered it could have been an optical illusion, it could have been something. But they had this stirring within them, and they, you know, they both were kind of concerned about it. And my response to it is, it something that gave you peace and comfort and love? And they said, yes, it did. Then just accept it. Just accept it, and you don't need to explain it. You don't need to explain what it was. You don't need to explain it away. That's what Howard Stern does for me. It brings me peace and comfort and love. And warm feelings. Well, then you don't need a visitation. Exactly. Yeah, I mean, I think, is it Chesterton says in Orthodoxy that the pre-modern man would rather accept two truths in tension than accept a falsehood? Yeah, and then he goes on to say, same people do that all the time. Yeah, right, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, we all, we, all, we all live with contradictions uh, in, our, in, our normal, in our normal living. Well, let's conclude with the, uh, I'll just read the final words of Mr. Jothet who is Roman Catholic. Uh, he says, as a strictly intellectual matter, I am very confident that God exists. In dark times, though, and this has been a dark year in many ways, I wonder if the absolute relates to us in the way that my church teaches, if he will really wipe away every tear and make all things that we love new. This is the wager that Christmas offers us year in and year out. It isn't Pascal's famous bet on God's very existence. Rather, it's a bet on God's love for us, a wager that all the varieties of religious experience Wonderful and terrifying and inscrutable should be interpreted in the light of one specific history altering experience, a divine incarnation, a baby crying beneath a pulsing star. The odds on that wager feel different year to year. They change with joy and suffering, tranquility and crisis, sickness and health. But I haven't found better ones. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas and happy Christmas time. If you change your mind, take a chance on the first day of your life. Honey, I'm still free. Take a chance on me. If you need me, let me know. Gonna be around. If you got no place to go, when you're feeling down.